Let's take our Bibles, if you have them, and open them to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 37. During Jesus' three years of public ministry, he traveled so widely among, in, in Israel, and he saw so many people, probably thousands of people he came in contact with. Do you know that of the thousands he came in contact with, there were only two people, just two, that he said had great faith? Just two. Now, put it in the context of this. This is the nation of Israel that faith has been in their bloodstream for, for thousands of years. And the two people he notes who had great faith were non-Jews. It's shocking. You remember Cornelius, he's the Roman centurion. This is Acts chapter 10. He said, you have great faith. You can read his story later. There's another one, though. The second is a Gentile Syrophoenician woman. You don't have to turn anywhere because we're going to read her story in just a moment. Now, to give us some idea of the, the shock value, so to speak, of this, you know, in this day and age, the, the rabbis who taught the law, the, the, the Pentateuch, they would not teach a woman. They, they were not going to be taught the law, much less commended for some measure of spiritual maturity. And yet Jesus takes this Gentile woman and says, you have great faith. You really could not find a more unlikely candidate. Now, uh, this story is one of the most awkward situations that we're gonna find ourselves in with Jesus Christ as we follow him. You'll see what I mean as I read it. But it is also, without a doubt, one of the most insightful passages, you all, on the nature of faith. Uh, biblical faith, and, and can I say, great faith, even as he speaks this to her. So we wanna pay attention to that. By way of review, you know, we were in the first part of chapter seven last week. In spite of all they've seen and heard, the disciples' hearts remain what? What's the word? Hard, and their hearts are not the organ, right? We all know this. We're not talking about the organ in here. We're talking about their heart, the center of their being, mind, emotions, and will. You cannot separate any of these out and have a heart, so to speak. The heart is that part of you in which you think, you choose, and you feel. And boy, when you read your Bible, I'm gonna assure you, it's about the heart, it's never just about the mind, it's never just about the will, and it's never just about your feelings. It's all of those things together. And uh, they are, uh, last week we noted that it's not just a hard heart, it, it gets actually worse. Jesus says your hearts are no good, they're evil. Paul says the heart is dead apart from Jesus Christ, and so, He's explaining to them, contrary to what they've been taught for thousands of years, generation after generation after generation, it's not what you do or you don't do outwardly that makes you unclean. It's who you are. It all comes from your heart. Now, if we truly understand this, you all, and if, if they did, we would all go, oh, no. Truly, you just go, holy moly, then we don't stand a chance. And that's the point. If the problem is in us, 
and the problems are heart, then I'm gonna tell you, you, then I can't do anything. Exactly. And we come to this place of helplessness. Yet rather than losing hope at this place of helplessness, we find this. When you get to helplessness, you suddenly lift your eyes and in God's grace, the only way we would do it, but we would lift our eyes and go, okay, what I can't do, Jesus has done for me. Boom. And this is the ground of hope, you see. And so I said last week that helplessness is actually the ground of genuine hopefulness when we see these things. Now, I made that point, but Jesus is, I believe, in part trying to make this point to his disciples, and they don't get it. And uh, they're not gonna get it for a little while yet. And so Jesus concludes chapter seven with two stories. And he says, he says look, here's two examples of people in helplessness coming to hopefulness. And these are the stories we get to read today. Now, I've broken the two stories in this way. We're in chapter seven, verses 24 to 30, I call the dog barks. Now, you'll know what that means in a moment. The dog barks. So there's the first part. And the second part, 20, or 31 to 37, is the mute speaks. So here's our text. The dog barks and the mute speaks. Let's just dive in and start with verses 24 to 30. The dog barks. Verse 24, Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race. I want you to note this. Uh, Matthew 15 tells the same story but gives more details. I'm not gonna go there because I just wanna stay where Mark is, but I do wanna grab this. He calls, he says the woman was a Canaanite. Um, Jesus, when she comes to him, is actually silent, doesn't say a word. There's other details there. Uh, when, when he responds to her, he's actually gonna say, your faith is great. That, that's all in Matthew, okay? I'll use some of that to help us understand this, but I just want you to know there, there's more to the story. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter and going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Whoa, Jesus. Somebody give Jesus a snicker bar. He gets a little angry, you know, when he's hungry. It's like that. Well, you're saying to this lady, what in the world's going on? Well, here's what's going on, and and we do a little historical cultural work on this. Let's first note, geographically, Jesus is in a different place than he was. This is Jesus leaving Israel. Now, keep this distinctions in mind. Remember what he's talking about, clean, unclean, inward, outward. He has just left clean Israel. He is now in dirty Gentile country. This is the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has been in in this Galilee region up here on the northwestern part uh, around the sea. He now goes 30 miles northwest. This would be the Mediterranean Sea, and he's up here in 
Tyre, and then he'll go on to Sidon in, in, in a moment. But he is now in Gentile country, so he's changed locations. Keep this in mind as well. One of the great challenges of the early church was that the Jewish church had a tough time admitting Gentiles. It's just a fact of reality in the book of Acts. It's like, no, this is for us. And of course, it's not just for the Jews, it's for the world. But they had a tough time with that. And Jesus is beginning to instill in the disciples, even here, to say, look, the the, the good news is for the Gentiles because it's for the entire world. When God made his covenant with Abraham, we studied this back in Genesis, and, and, and he said, you're gonna be, the people are gonna be blessed through this. The covenant promise was a blessing not just to the Jews, right? Don't keep this, it was that all people will be blessed when the Messiah comes through the nation of Israel. So in a weird way, I've said this, you know, that, that, that Israel was like a womb, so to speak, through which the Messiah would come. And it was thousands of years in gestation, if you will, but you can look at it this way. G, the, the Jews were, are the chosen people of God, and we believe God's God purpose for Israel, but they're the chosen people, got it. He didn't choose any other nation, he chose the why? Why them? Well, they even said, you know, there was nothing in us to choose, but God, in your kindness, you chose us. That's why, out of his kindness and love. He chose that nation, and he showed that nation what it's like to live in relationship with God for thousands of years. And then you get to the end down here, and we celebrate it just recently. Jesus is born. The Messiah has come through the nation of Israel. And when he comes, it's like, and it's for the world. It's not just for the Jews anymore. It's not just this little small tube running along through history. It is now for the entire world. But don't miss the priority that, it, that, that, that Jesus came through the Jews and he offers the kingdom of God to who first? The Jews. Fully intending, always from the Abrahamic covenant and even from Genesis on, that the blessing would be for the entire world. Now the Jews considered the Gentiles unclean. This is why it made it so hard for them to go, oh my gosh, we don't, not them, you know, they considered them outcasts and unclean. Uh, Paul is gonna say it like this in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone, to the Jew first and then to the Greek to the Jew first. Now, there's a priority there. And for the Jewish people, and even their disciples, they took priority to mean exclusivity. (laughs) We're not just first, we're only. No, no, no. You're first in order to be for all. And we could say, I don't think it's inappropriate to say that 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 priority for them led to pride. Are you with me so far? Now, okay, what's it have to do with the table and the dogs and everything? Well, we'll go further. The Jews called the Gentiles dogs. And uh, it wasn't nice, you know, it's, it's what it was. They considered them unclean, your dogs, you know. Now, there's two Greek words for, for dog. There's one that means a mongrel, a, you know, one dogs running around the street, you know, with no home. And then there's another word, some more diminutive, and it's, it's for a household pet. Now, Jesus, in this context, I want you to know he uses the word for the household pet. I don't think it takes away any of the yuck about it, quite frankly. It's still, a dog's a dog, a dog is a dog. And he uses it, though, because it certainly fits the story that he's telling. Now, this story is thousands of years old, but it just, it jumps right into my own home, and I think for many of yours. Uh, We have a dog at the Shadrach house. 
Her name is Pearl. Pearl is a smaller um, cockapoo. And kinda, she's kind of nervous. You know, she's, she got bit by another dog when she was little, and so she's kind of nervous around people. Uh, we love her to death, like you love your, your, your pets. And um, when Lisa makes a meal, and uh, we gather around the table. It's not super often, you know, when you get kids that are older, but we gather around the table. I don't care where Pearl is, if she's laying in the playroom or over in the living room, whatever. When the food comes down and we, she knows the table's being set, Pearl will run to the kitchen and where will Pearl go? You tell me. Where does she go, literally? Think, she goes, yeah. Do you, now, do you think, we set, you think we set a chair for Pearl? <laughs> no. But is Pearl at the table? in a sense. Y'all, it's, you know this, and so Pearl will come to the table, and, then, and, and she knows who to get next to. <laughs> and she'll go down, and it'll be like, it'll, she'll get there, and it'll just be this. <laughs> for 30 minutes while we're eating. What's she waiting for? Waiting for the crumbs to drop, right? Now, this is, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. You know, they had pets, you know, and they could have a dog in the house, and this is exactly what Jesus is saying. I mean, Jesus calls the woman a dog. You get the crumbs under the table. You gotta feed the family first. And this, you see, is the first miracle of the story. This is amazing, you all. She gets what Jesus means. And she's not offended. Let's, let, let's not get offended for her, because she's not. Do you see anything in the text that would tell you that she's offended by this derogatory comment to her? I do not. In fact, it's such an amazing story that she would stand toe-to-toe. I mean, religious leaders can't do this. But this Gentile woman can stand toe-to-toe with Jesus and say, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. In other words, yes, Lord. And by the way, it's the only time in Mark's gospel that a person addresses Jesus as Lord. Something's going on in her heart. Yes, Lord, I, I am a Gentile. I am outside of the the. the, the, the covenant with Abraham, I'm on the blessing end of it, but, but you're, you know, the Jews first, you gotta feed the family first, I'm a dog, I don't bring anything, I don't have any claim on this food, but I'm here, Lord, and I'll take a crumb. In Matthew's account, Jesus says to her, your faith is great. She, I think, has arrived at helplessness. And when she got to helplessness, she didn't run from it. I believe she received it. And then in that place, knowing I got nowhere else to go, she called to Jesus, the only one who could do something about that which she could do nothing about, her helplessness. And I think she had, had come to the grounds of hopefulness. Do you see that? Now, I think there's more. Now, this is where I'm, I'm not gonna be dogmatic, but you know, when I read my Bible, I'm looking at context and I'm going, Lord, I, I don't wanna misrepresent what the text is saying. I, I can't be dogmatic on this, but I think there's something else. I think there is something here. Think about it. Think about this, the context, the story of this woman. Do you know it was just a few days earlier that Jesus fed 10,000 people with what? 
bread. This bread story. And they collect all the leftovers, right? And it was just a tiny amount of bread. And then we come along, and Jesus has this story, clean, unclean, and now this woman. And do you know what we're gonna study next week? Go to chapter one, and guess what? It's another story about Jesus feeding people with what? Say it out loud, with what? Bread, 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 it's like bread's everywhere. And he's gonna be about 8,000 people. He's gonna feed them with seven loaves and I don't know, two fish, five, or I don't, I always get the numbers mixed up. He had nothing, but he, he, he it multiplied them and they gather up all these leftovers. Okay, so you got this bread, you got this bread. And right in the middle of it, you got this story about this woman saying, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna get the crumbs on the table. And when they do, when he does this second miracle of feeding of the 4,000 or the 8,000, when you count everyone, uh, right after it, the disciples go and get in the boat. And when they get in the boat, one of the disciples looks and goes, oh my gosh, we've only got one loaf in here. And, uh, and they're kind of going, you know, I mean, there's 12 of us, man, we're grown men, they're, we're not gonna have enough to eat, you know? And, and then Jesus just says, you know, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And they hear that word leaven, and they look at each other and go, oh my gosh, he knows. It's talking about leaven. You were supposed to bring the bread. Look, we always said the last guy in the boat gets the bread. And I wasn't the last one in. I thought someone was behind me and they're just going off on this bread. We don't have enough bread. And then what does Jesus say? Look at chapter eight, verse 17. Chapter eight, verse 17, Jesus says, and Jesus aware of this said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And he goes on to say, you remember all the leftovers we picked up? And when I look at that, I go, what, what is it that they don't get? And what is Jesus saying? Do you not yet understand? And I, I think there's something in here that says, do you not understand what the Gentile woman understood? She, she got it. And I go, what did she get that they don't get yet? I think it's this. I don't know how other than the grace of God, but I think she got the fact that when Jesus talks about bread, he's not talking about dough and yeast. He's talking about himself. I think she got it. Because John's going to come along and tell us, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You know, I mean, it can't get any clearer than that. You don't look at a loaf of bread standing up there, you look at life. And somehow she, because if she knows that Jesus is the bread, then a crumb will do. See, I don't think the whole, a, cr a crumb of Christ is a feast, you see. That's why the little would be plenty. When you know that the bread is Christ, there'll never be too little to go around. I think, I think she got it. So with that, the dog barked. What do you, do you hear what has happened? Do you have eyes to see? Let's go from the dog barks to the mute speaks. We'll pick up the second part of the story. Begins there in verse 31. And again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. This is called the 10 cities. It's where the Gerardine demoniac was that he casted all those demons out of that, that guy. They brought to him, they, who's that? I don't know, they brought 
they, some people, brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they, they begged him, it's like the woman, same emphasis, they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue uh, with, the, with the saliva. It's not in the Greek text. It, it, he certainly could have, but we don't know for sure. Um, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, Ephatha, be opened. It's Aramaic. Uh, and, and it's translated, of course, for us here. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. I think this is humorous. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Um, this is a visual, so keep looking up here at me and, and, and note that when Jesus did this particular miracle, just a lot of touching going on, isn't there? A lot of stuff we'd go, oh, that's weird. Or even the spitting, you know, in those days, spitting, um, uh, w w they actually healed that. You know, Jesus put spit on their eyes and it was a healing considered a healing ointment in some strange ways. But here's a guy who's probably not deaf from birth. He probably lost his hearing because he's got some form of speech that now has been lost. And so Jesus takes him aside. No, I want you to just kind of get this idea of everything that Jesus, Jesus takes him aside and I'm just gonna go through it. and his ears were opened. Now, I didn't say anything, and I know everybody couldn't see what I was doing here, but you know, you, the, the point being, he communicated with the guy in the only way he could be communicated with. I mean, if you saw someone touch your ears, you go, there's something going with his ears, there's something going with his mouth, and then even the look to heaven, the utter dependence of his own father to do this miracle, and, and then he said the words, which a guy, I don't think the guy could hear the words as he said them, but you ever try and say, epatha, try and say that without moving your lips, you know, boom, boom, boom. And, and the guy sees it and boom, and he's, and he's healed, he's restored. You know, when he healed the, the little girl with the demon, what did Jesus do to heal her? We just read it, what did he do? Uh, nothing, you know, I, I don't know, thought a thought? It doesn't record that he did anything. And yet we come to this one and, and he can't keep his hands off the guy. And, what is, what's going on? I, I don't know for sure. You know, let's just go, wow, number one, Jesus can do it however he wants. He doesn't have to say anything, doesn't have to do anything, but he does certain things at certain times. And I do think he did this with the man because it's the language, it was the language the man understood. He didn't have any, you know, he couldn't hear, he could, but he, he understood this. He understood that. He understood the look of a sigh. He understood the look into heaven. And I think just for us to consider I think our Lord in his infinite wisdom, this is, this is now, let's put it in our day, and what, what could this mean for us? I really do believe this, that his work in your life and mine, is, it's like snowflakes. There's no two alike. And what you need, he comes exactly with what you need. 
It is not what your wife needs because he's intimately intimately acquainted with all your ways. So God in his mercy and kindness comes to you exactly what you, he, he, he knows more what you need than you know what you need and he comes specifically to you. What a gift, what an amazing God that he would do that with every individual to come and give you what you need in a way that you can hear it. Someone else may not, but you can. You hear his voice, you see his hand in that just for you. I think it's amazing, I think it's awesome. Now, we gotta keep in mind, if he does that, then we've always gotta be careful to go, look, this is what God did in me and this is how he did it, so this is how it works. Mm -mm. No, it's not how it works. God is very specific in how he moves and works in, among, and through us. A beautiful picture of his attention to detail. Well, the friends who brought the man, they go crazy. They cannot contain themselves, and it's ironic, is it not, that the more he told them to tell no one, the more they told everyone. I mean, why, you gotta ask, why could they not keep their mouths shut? Well, look at 37, it says, because they were utterly astonished, saying he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Utter, utterly is beyond measure, okay? It, it, and then it's astonished. Astonished is to become astounded to such, a, to such a degree as to nearly lose one's mental composure. It, it's, it's, you know, if you said it's a, it's a hyperbole, not hyperbole, but it's a, it's a double superlative, so it's like, hey, that's super. No, what this is is super duper. You know, you add on to it. And they are so astounded that they literally, can I say this? They lose their mind. <laughs> They're just gone crazy and they can't keep their mouth shut. And it, it, I say ironic because the storm obeyed, the demons obeyed, disease obeyed, but these turkeys cannot obey him. You know, they cannot not say what they're gonna say. And I, 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 I really believe this. Do, do I think that this is sin? No. Do I think Jesus is standing there going, I can't believe you're not obeying? I think Jesus is grinning from ear to ear because what they say is what he's trying to teach his disciples, but they just haven't gotten there yet. But boy, these Gentiles did because what did they say? You think this is not worth saying? He, Jesus, does all things well. That's worth shouting. Well, does all things well. The well, well means it fits appropriately. It's according to purpose. It's done in the right way. It's, you could use these words for well, literally. Splendidly, beautifully. Has, he has done. Now, this gets into the grammar, which I'm not super great at, but I'll, tell, I'll try and make it as simple as, if I, I'm trying to make it where I can understand it, and hopefully you can. It's a present tense verb. What does a present tense Greek verb mean? It means this, that there's a completed action in the past, and that completed action now in the present remains completed and in effect. The effect of this completed action remains true, even though it's in the past, right now in the present. And the emphasis on a present tense verb is not so much on what happened then as what's happening right now. Okay, Lloyd, you said that, but I still don't understand it. Okay, let me, let me translate what they said, if I may. God causes all things to work together for good. That's what they're getting at. 
Because when they would say that phrase, and it's good, let me tell you where the, the mind goes, especially the disciples' minds. Do you know where that goes? It goes to Genesis 1, and God created the heavens and the earth, and God created the sun, the, the sun to light the day and said it was what? What's the word he used? And it was? And he made the vegetation, and he said it was? And he made the animals of the world, and he said it was? You see, it's God, is good. God has done all things good, and my goodness, I think Jesus himself is going, yes. They have ears to hear, and they've got eyes to see the dog, excuse me, the dog has barked and the mute has spoken. Do you and I have ears to hear? What, what do you hear for you? In a minute, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond with your heart. I'm gonna ask you to respond with your whole heart, with your mind, your emotions, and your will. And in fact, I'm gonna ask you to respond with your body I've said this before, and I'll stay on it. I do believe, and you just look at what happens in the Bible. You know, faith, you know, shows up in very physical ways, and sometimes we need to move our body in a way. Bow, move. I don't, and don't, get, don't feel weirded out, like you gotta raise your hands. Or, I don't mean it, but I do think there's something about moving your body to move that truth in the, into the heart and seal it in our heart. So I'm gonna ask you to move in a moment. Now, before I do that, since now you're nervous and you're wondering <laughs> what I'll do, uh, I'm gonna give you one application, and it's an implication. There's so many here, but time does not allow us to do them all. I hope you can do some in your, in your fellowship groups. But think about this for us. Did you notice that the beneficiaries of the miracles, the little girl and the deaf mute, got their miracle because of what someone else did? The little girl didn't come, her mom did. And the deaf mute didn't come to Jesus, his friends brought him. And it's so important to be reminded and to ask ourselves the question, am I in relationships, am I in some level of community where there would be people around me who when I can't get there would bring me to Jesus. I, I really mean it. I mean, bring you. I've, I've been there in a depression. I've been, you've been there in, in rebellion. I don't care what it is that's keeping you from him. Your, your heart's hard. You just don't want to go. And, or you're making stupid choices and your friends look at you and go, we've got to step. Whatever it is. You just, but do you have friends in your life that, that know, know God and love you enough to go, enough, you're coming with us, Jesus, would you lay your hands on him? You know, do you have that in your world? Because I'm just telling you, we need it. Our, 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 our fellowship group meets on Monday nights and we eat dinner together. And this last Monday, um, we were at our house and uh, we've done this before. David, David and Michelle Arms have, have, have a grown child and other kids. And then we have a grown son, you know, Darnie's 21. They have Shelly's 27. So we've had... Over the years, we've had uh, our grown kids come in and talk to the other group members because they all have little kids. And so they get to hear how we've just totally screwed our kids up and the kids are going, yeah, they, my dad didn't do this. And, they, and then you know, they just get encouraged by that. So I had asked Darden if he would want to come, come down and, and he's done this before and, and just share where he's at. You know, he had, had a motorcycle accident almost a year ago. He's not totally healed up here. Probably more significant to me though is, is his heart's just not in the best place. And, 
you know, it, it's okay. So I said, come down and share, you know, what's going on in your world. And he did, shared with our group, you know, we're in our living room and, and uh, you know, what a gift for him to share with us. And, and then they began to speak to him and say, Darden, well, let me tell you what I see. And Darden, could, you know, this isn't, you know, and they, just to encourage him. And then he finally stopped everyone. He said, y'all, I gotta be honest. It's hard for me to even take this in right now because my heart's hard. I don't think it'll always be, but I just know it is right now. There's just a hardness there. And I'm telling you, it was sweet. I love his awareness and I love the fact that he could say that and I love the fact he owns it. And, and I trust, you know, when, when you're aware of that, trust me, God knows and hears that. And, oh, and he even said it and said, you know, only God can do something. And of course, we're as parents sitting there going, I know, I get it, I've been there, et cetera. So then we had Darden sit in a chair and everyone put their hand on him. And I've got my hand on him, at least got a hand. But then, uh, and then to hear some people in that group pray for my son. And I want to tell you, they cried out. There were some moms that just wept, just, but it was coming from deep, man, to pray for Darden. And I'm praying for him, my hand's on him, but I, I, I just go, oh, thank you, Lord. What's that worth? There's no price on that. That there would be other people in my life and Lisa's who would cry out for our son in ways I can't even cry out for my son. It's a gift. Do, do you have that? Because you need it. Let's put the shoe on the other foot. Who in your world are you taking to Jesus? Because we all need it. It goes both ways. Who, who in your life, in your world, are, are, are you willing to to take and bring before Jesus and unashamedly pray for him. I had a friend pray for me at a restaurant this week and it wasn't grace. It was after we'd already finished eating. And man, no problem. Let's bow right here. I'm gonna pray for you. Who are, who, not just someone who can bring you, but who are you bringing to Christ? Because he's, he's the only answer. He's the only, he's the only thing that can do something. See, I think this is one of the most grand privileges of following the servant king is to be used in this way. Okay. Now, I'm gonna ask Lindsay and uh, Sydney, uh, Megan to come out here. They're gonna sing over us, okay? So here we go. Let's respond. We built the time in to do this. Um, I'm gonna give you some thoughts and then, and then here's, the, here's the deal. If I finish this and, and you feel like you've done something or you, you, know, you go, man, I felt manipulated or, or you, know, you do something and you feel like I guess I should have done something else, you've missed me because I, I just want you to do whatever you'd have God do, whatever God would have you do in, in your own life. But here's, the, here's what we wanna do. If you want, um, and I'm just, I think it's a wonderful text to do this out of. You know what? You can come up, you can get up, stand up, come up here and kneel as, as Lindsay and Megan sing over us, Sydney playing. Just kneel, just come up and kneel. That's a wonderful act of bodily faith. Can I say that? To say that you are desperate. Or you can sit right where you are. I hope everyone heard me say that. You, you don't have to do anything for God to change your life, but he can change us in a moment. So you can sit right where you are. That's totally fine. Uh, you may sense that God would have you stand. And I think that's, you know, again, it may be just that physical act, just standing up before God. And, you know, people around you sitting, so you know you've got some work you're doing with God in this moment. Just stand right where you are. 
Uh, how about this? If, if someone comes up here to pray and you, 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 don't, you didn't feel this need to pray, but you saw them and you went, wait, I know what's going on and you want to come up and put a hand on them. Wouldn't that, be wonder, wouldn't that be wonderful? Just to put a hand on them. How about if someone stands near you and you don't know them from Adam and uh, you, what, what if you actually put your hand on their back and what if you're the person that feels something on your back and you're thinking, holy moly, I don't know that person from Adam. Uh, well, let's do this. How about this? What if you said, wait a minute, Christ lives in them. That means the Holy Spirit's in them. That means that's the Holy Spirit's hand on my back. Now, don't take me overly literal, but it's the Spirit of God in that person that's just saying, I'm with you. I want, Lord, I, I just want you to see I'm praying for Would you do that? I think this is all re- very right. Now, this is gonna really take us over the edge, I'm sure. What if you were, what if you were sitting there and you're just going, Lord, I, I, I have... My, I need to hear from you. What if, what, what if you touched your ears? Just, just saying, I need. What if there's a conversation you need to have and you just give me the words? To, just, just taking it out of this. What if you did this wherever you are? What if it was simply? That the head to heaven. You know, Jesus. What? What, what, Jesus, look, you could do this on your own. No, he couldn't. I can only do what the Father tells me to do. And so I'm going to ask God. Jesus turned and looked to his Father because he needed him with a heavy sigh. And then finally, this woman gives us some words. You know, in Matthew, she says, Lord, have mercy on me. That's a full prayer right there. Or in Mark, she says, Lord, help me. Three words, plenty. Lindsay and Megan are gonna sing over us and you might take the words they're singing and make them your own. See, it's all all these things. So with that said, oh God, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to respond in these moments in faith. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here I find my rest without you I fall apart you're the one that guides my heart Lord I need you
teach my son to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I fall on you Jesus Jesus you're my hope and stay yes teach my son to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand up fall on you is Jesus you're my hope and stay oh Lord I need you oh I need you standing would you stay standing if you're up here at the kneelers would you just stay there we'll end with you where you are I want you to remain when Mark describes this man's difficulty speaking he uses a very unique strange Greek word megalelos megalelos and it's only used one time you how about this one time you use a word and it's used here in the New Testament it's only used one other time in the Bible and it's in the Old Testament the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible called the Septuagint. And so when you go to the Septuagint, that, they'd use the Greek word, and it's only used once, and it's used in Isaiah. How about this? Isaiah 35, five to six. Isaiah is describing the time, what will happen when Messiah comes, but he's saying it 700 years before Messiah comes. And he says this, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute, tongue of the megalalos, there's the word, will shout for joy. How about that? To remind us that what we're seeing here, the servant king has come. The kingdom is here and it's happening even as Isaiah said. I'd like everyone to stand. Those kneeling, stay kneeled. If you're at the altars, I want you to stay where you are, please. Just stay there. You don't have to stand, but the rest of us standing, may I say over and to us, unlikely and unworthy with no claim we come, undone and unfit with no rights we run to the only one whose crumbs are a feast for a famished heart who by his word has done, is doing, and will always do all things well, all things well, all things well. Amen. And God bless.